Great to see you. What a hearty good morning. Glad if you've joined us, whether you're in the room or online. Thank you so much for choosing to make us a part of your weekend. We are a family dispersed, but uh, still a family nonetheless, and so thankful that you've chosen to be with us. Happy uh, Sunday to you. I hope you had a good no-shave Saturday. It was, uh, for me, some are like, no-shave Saturday? It's been a no-shave season. I haven't shaved in 16 weeks. Uh, it's a, I had a no-shave Saturday, but then I had an always-shave Sunday morning, and, uh, but I'm so glad to be with you. You like, you like that, Vince? Yeah, I figured you would. Just for you, buddy. Uh, but I wanted to give you an update. I know that many of you haven't heard us say anything uh, since our opening up sermon that I did a few weeks ago about what we're doing, and so I just wanted to give you an update on that. Uh, we are talked about ways that we can step into the racial issues in our world, and certainly uh, specifically in our city, and I really think uh, we're gonna continue to do a lot of the work that we've been doing, uh, but I broke it down. I, th- I really think it's in three key areas, uh, strategic partnerships, organic relationships and coordinated service. Uh, Those are the things that are gonna help us make a long-term impact. Now, these are things that we've been doing and we're just going to continue to push in. As I said, there's just more work to do. So our organic relationships, we've continued these conversations with our staff weekly. We've been having these conversations, which is, is good. They've been hearty discussions that I think is helpful just to make sure we're all on the same page about definitions, what we mean, because the last thing we want to do is leave someone behind. We want to stay unified as a church as we move forward into the things that God has called us to. We also have coordinated service, which we've continued to do, and we will continue to do, obviously, with the, the coronavirus. It's kind of been hard to do coordinated service. And strategic partnerships. We have a lot of strategic partners that we've been in touch with and even looking into creating more strategic partners. So just wanted you to know that's what we're doing. You say, what have you been doing? That's what we've been doing and we're going to continue to do it. We're not going to overreact. I don't think that's the right thing to do. Uh, There was a a sign. My father-in-law was a mechanic. He's now retired. Uh, There was a sign in his shop that I'll never forget. It said, uh, you can have it right or you can have it right now. Which one do you want? And I I love that, and I wanna do it the right way. I don't wanna just do something right now. I wanna do something the right way that has the the Holy Spirit-inspired long-term impact in our city and in our church uh, that that go on for years and years and decades to come. And so we're gonna do it the right way. So those are the things that we've been doing. Also wanted to say in that sermon, another thing that I had said was we support the police. And I want you to know we 100% support our police department, our police officers. That, that hasn't changed, uh, that we, we believe in them. We want them to have the equipment that they uh, need to serve and protect our city. I've had conversations with many of the ones that I know personally inside of our church. They feel supported by our church. They say that they enjoy great relationships with the citizens of Fort Worth. And we've gone as far as supporting them to even, if you remember a few years ago, gave them protective equipment. It was really kind of right around the, the Dallas shooting that happened where those police officers were killed. And so we made sure that they have the support that they need and the equipment that they need to serve and protect our city because we believe Proverbs 11.10 where righteousness reigns the city prospers and so we need righteousness in our city that's what we want them to uphold and so we'll continue to support them I know there's a big vote coming up on Tuesday about supporting the police officers what I ask that you would do if you're a citizen of Fort Worth is just go and inform yourself of the issue I think it's Proposition A or something called like that would you inform yourself of the issue 
issue and then make a thoughtful and prayerful uh, vote. So be, be a citizen that, that votes. But listen, I, I want you to know, I say both of those at the beginning because we're gonna continue to do both. We've got to continue to do both to step into the issues in our culture and even support the police or those institutions that, where, that, that really protect us, that, that do um, their God's enabled government officials that help to enact righteousness in our city. We've got to hold both. And unfortunately, in our world, once you say you are for something, you're automatically assumed that you're against another. And we're not. We're for both and we're gonna continue to be for both because that's what I think the church is called to be. The church has always been called to be a citizen of this world, but also a citizen of heaven. We're called to hold both and that's what we're gonna, even if it means forging a new path forward, we're gonna have to continue to do that as a church, upholding both. Our brothers and sisters who have experienced that heartache and we're gonna step into that with compassion, but also supporting those that can uphold the righteousness of our city. So we're gonna do both because that's what actually First Peter talks about is how we are in both a citizen of this world and we've got things that we've gotta do in this world, but a citizen of heaven. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter one. We're gonna finish up the last part of chapter one and we're gonna step into chapter two. And so what I wanna do is just read the section because it really highlights this kind of both attitude and I wanna tell you how we're going to continue to be citizens of the kingdom as we interact with the citizens of our world. So we're gonna finish off chapter one, we're gonna begin in verse 22 and go through chapter two, verse three. So just follow along with me, I just wanna read the whole of it together. So verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word It's the good news that was preached to you. Chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And we're gonna stop there for today. May God bless the reading of his word. I don't know how many of you grilled out for 4th of July. It's usually a tradition. We grilled some things. Well, I actually burnt some things uh, on the grill for the 4th of July. And you know, that the, you know the way to fix burned meats is you just cover it up with condiments, right? You just put more mustard, more ketchup, more pickles or whatever on there to just kind of cover it up the burned parts. Um, and as I was getting out all the condiments to cover up for my lack of grilling skills, I realized on all of the condiments was this date. And you know it, you've seen it before. It's called the best buy date. And it's the date of which that product is is best buy that. If it goes past that, then supposedly it loses its flavor, it loses its uh, concentration, its consistency, maybe even its color. And so, uh, by the way, there is a difference between a best buy date 
and an expiration date. Those are two different things. My wife has thrown stuff out because it's past the Best Buy date, and I'm like, no, 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 honey. We we smell it. It's got to, you go smell it first. If it smells bad, then you can throw it out. Those are two different things, all right? But there's those foods that are Best Buy, which, by the way, I just have to tell you, it's so funny. Jerry Seinfeld has this small little bit, I'm just endorsing this small little bit, where he does a joke about how milk gets its expiration date. And he goes, how do they get that? You know, does the cow just turn around to the farmer and go, June 23rd, you know? I think that's hilarious. It's just so funny. Just a funny mental picture there. So there, there are those foods that, are, that have a Best Buy date. But then I realized there's a whole other category of foods and those are the ones that get better with age. That the, lo- the longer that you have them, the, the more concentrated the flavor is, the more blended the flavors become, the, the, the smoother the taste is. And I've heard that's true with wines and cheeses, but I know for sure that that is true with casseroles. Every casserole that you eat that's left over is always better the second day, unless it has ham or mayonnaise. I don't eat ham or mayonnaise. Don't endorse those things whatsoever. But casseroles are great. They're better with age. Two types of food in this world, and what I realize, they're really two types of Christians in this world. There are those who have a best if used by date, and there are those who have a better with age kind of mentality. So, unfortunately, there are believers in this world that have passed their best if used by date. There was a time in their life where they were really fired up for the Lord. They had wonderful fervor. They, they were very concentrated in their faith, but they've lost their fervor. They, they've been sitting on the shelf too long, not involved in the Christian life, not growing in their faith. And so they've lost their flavor for the Lord. And then there are those who are better with age. Those who, the longer that they've been in the faith, they've matured. They've learned how to blend their faith into their everyday lives. They've been more concentrated on the Lord. They've experienced less highs and lows and had a smoother walk with the Lord because they've matured in their walk with him. Now, obviously, you could tell who the Lord wants us to be. The kind of believer that, that I would want us to be is not the best if used by Christian because the next thing that comes after the best by used by date is the expiration date. I don't want us to, to be irrelevant. I don't want us to expire in our relevancy. I want us to become better with age. And that's what First Peter talks about. And that's what we're gonna talk about today because we are supposed to mature in our faith. We are supposed to get better with age the longer that we're in Christ. In fact, it's an expectation. It's what Peter says is that since you've been born again, you are expected to mature in your Christ likeness. You, it's an expectation, folks. That, let me just say that. You are expected to get better with age. The longer that you are in Christ, you are expected to be more mature. And he uses this analogy, and he'll use it throughout this passage, of being born again. Because when you came to faith in Christ, you were born again. All of that points back to John chapter 3 when Jesus and Nicodemus are talking. He says, you have to be born again, not of flesh and blood, because Nicodemus says, how do I go back into my mother's womb? He says, it's, it's, it's a new birth. It, and and it, when you came to faith in Christ, you were born into a new family. 
You, you are now a babe in Christ. You are given a new identity, a new relationship with other believers, a new inheritance. Everything about your life changed. And he's talking to folks who are probably new believers, which is why he's using this analogy of being born again. They were probably new believers in Asia Minor. That's the, that's the group that he was writing to. And he tells them that they're supposed to grow up in the faith. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 23, he says, since you have been born again, because this is the expectation, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, not, not of, of human means or flesh, but of imperishable, you're born into a family that will never fade, that will go into eternity through the living and abiding word of God. And he tells us in verse 25 that the abiding word of God, the living word of God, it, or that is the word of God, when he's talking about the, um, the flowers of the field, the flesh, all those things. The word of God is what we were born again by. What is that? That was the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four. That's the good news of Jesus, that we can have a new identity in him, that we can be born into something imperishable, not just something that is perishable and that we will all fade away on this earth, but that we, he is the resurrection and the life. Even though we die, we live. That's what he's talking about. That's the born againness. And he says that because you have been born again, you are supposed to continue to be transformed by this imperishable word. So it's not just that we've been born again by the word. We're supposed to grow up in his word. That's the expectation that he has for us as believers. That's why he says the word is living and abiding. It's that the word gives us life and the word is continually alive and it's continually, therefore, speaking into our lives today, changing us. Remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces us down to the core. It's supposed to change us and transform us from the inside out. That's what he's called us to, to be. It's what, that's his expectation for us. And it's abiding in us. We are always supposed to let it reside in our hearts we are supposed to abide in God's word, to live there. That's the expectation that he has. And I know that you might say, Cody, why? Why are we supposed to grow up? Isn't it enough that I've been born again? I mean, I've already got my ticket to heaven. I, I know I'm a believer. I just, why do I need to grow up in my faith? Well, Paul addresses this of the why question in Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, 15, and it'll come up on the screen. He's talking about maturing in your faith or growing up. And he says, grow up in your faith so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're supposed to mature and look more like Christ. Why? So that we're not carried about or moved by every wind of doctrine, by every emotion that we have. If there's anything that I know about children, children are unstable in their emotions. They're unsure about their identity and they're gullible in their thinking. 
If you don't believe any of those, please come babysit for us. Please, anytime. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to believe, be believer, baby believers. Baby believers who are unstable in your emotions, who are gullible in your thinking, unsure of your identity. I want you to grow up. I want you to mature because what we have in Christ is sure. You can be sure of your identity. You don't, you don't have to be gullible to thinking the way that the world thinks, being tossed to and fro every time you hear something different or unstable in your emotions because he wants us to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. He wants us to grow up in our faith so that we know how to live in this world. And growing up means looking more and more like Christ. So let me ask you a question. Do you look more like Christ today than you did yesterday, last week, last year, last decade? Do you look more like him? Is your life representative of him? Now, I don't, you know, just like I wouldn't expect, you know, our, our younger son to drive tomorrow, you know, I know there's a progression here. We all have ups and downs. They're, they're, it's, it's graduated in your maturity. I understand that. We, we all have successes and slip-ups. But is your Christian walk up and to the right? That you're looking more like him. In fact, that's what he says right at the end of kind of the pericope that we talked about of chapter two. He says, grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that's a reference to Psalm chapter 34, verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is one of the first class conditions that Doug talked about last week that assumes that that's true. I assume that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if you have, I assume you have, then you should grow up into your salvation. You should continue to grow up into him. I sent this out in the pastor's desk just because I thought it was kind of a clever way to, to show our graduation in Christ, how we, our growth is graduated. And by the way, I've thought, I've thought about this. Like young kids today have no idea how to do this or what this is because they just use those emojis today. This is, these were the things that you'd have to do when you'd have to hit the button three times to get the right you know, character on your phone when you were texting. Did anybody remember those kind of phones? Yeah, I remember those. But it, you're supposed to look more and more like and more detail, uh, obviously not just in stature, but more detail of how you interact and, and how you look more and more like Christ in the nuances of your life. Remember, Jesus grew up. Do you know that? Even Jesus grew. Luke chapter two, verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and actually in favor with God and men. And I, I don't know how that happened. It's a mystery of the hypostatic union, but Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. If Jesus grew, we're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to grow up in our faith so that we can stand firm and represent him in our world. Now, I know if I ask that question of, do you look more like Christ today? It's kind of a hard, it can be a hard question to answer. And it was a hard question for me to answer as I pondered that, as I thought about it this weekend. And I thought, you know who that, it's easier for someone on the outside to answer that question for me. You know, if you want to know if I look more like Christ, don't ask me, ask Jen. Jen, I don't know what she would say, but 
She's the one I interact with on a daily basis. She can tell you if I'm acting more and more like Christ. See, that's what Peter tells us here is that your maturity in Christ is measured by the health of your relationships. Your maturity in Christ is measured by the health of your relationships. Jesus was and is relational. And that's how our maturity is gauged. If you look back at the first part of verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, and this is, that's, there's two phases to that, which I'll explain in a minute. He says, for, for the purpose of a sincere brotherly love. Now, how are our souls purified? Our souls are purified through the Holy Spirit when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. So it's through the gospel message. And when we obey the gospel message and bow our lives to him, to the good news of Jesus Christ, we are one time cleansed and pure in his eyes. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But each day through obedience, as we bow our life to Christ and to his word, he continues to purify us. Why? For a sincere brotherly love so that we can love one another. Remember, that's what he says in John chapter 13, verse 35. He talks to his disciples. He says, the world will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. You see, sometimes we like to gauge our spiritual maturity by our own individual devotion to Christ and nothing more. And that's awesome. Like if you are doing a, your own individual quiet time, if you were doing, you know, your own prayer time, your own meditation time, awesome. Praise God. Do that, please. But doing that alone and being mean as a snake to everybody else does no good. What, what good does it do to be devout then? It, it, does, it doesn't do any of the church any good. It doesn't make a witness for Christ in any way? You see, you can't separate your love from God from love of others. If you think that you can, then you are gonna tango with Jesus in a way you don't want to. Because if, you, if you'll remember, who, was he, who did he have the most confrontations with in the gospel? It was the most devout, God-fearing people that were around, the Pharisees. But they didn't care about anybody else. They, their faith had no works, it was dead. Faith without works is dead, as James tells us. It's got to work itself out in your relationships, in the way you treat one another. As God treats us with grace, as God forgives us, so we treat others with grace, so we forgive one another. It's for a sincere love. See, your maturity in Christ is not gauged by the amount of your quiet time. It's gauged by the amount that you love God and love others, the two greatest commandments. It's both. You can't separate them, and so often people want to exclude them. So let me, uh, you know, in, in fact, 1 John 4 says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. God said it. I didn't say it. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot. This sounds pretty definite, doesn't it? Pretty definitive cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and obviously also his sister. They must, they must love their, the people. 
You can't say you love God and hate your brother. You can't tease those apart. That's why spiritual maturity is gauged and measured by the health of our relationships. So I've got two questions. First, do you love others sincerely, building them up? Do you love other people sincerely, building them up? If you'll remember, if you go back to Ephesians chapter four, spiritual gifts were given to us as believers in the body to edify. That word edify means build up each other. Not, not, not for any use and to say, hey, I've got this gift and you don't have that gift. It's to encourage one another to build each other up. And he wants to, us to use those to love each other sincerely. That's what he says in the second part of verse 22. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That word earnestly means sincerely or passionately or fervently or even intensely. Love, some, love each other intensely from a purified heart. Now, how do you get a purified heart? As you interact with the word of God, first by faith in Jesus Christ, and then continually as you are obedient to the truth of God's word. So in order to love one another sincerely, you have to come back here and let the word of God purify you and point you in the right direction to cleanse you from selfishness so you can love one another Sincerely, and actually, just so you know, this word love here that's used is agape. It's, it's the unconditional, sacrificial, never-changing love of God that lays down his life so that we may have life. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not adversarial. It's looking to build up people. Is, is that the kind of love that marks your relationships? I think that's a very introspective and pensive question you need to ask yourself. As I was growing up, my parents taught me, um, I, my, my parents were very, taught me, I think, good morals, hopefully. Um, but one of the things they taught me was leave things better than the way you found them. It was just, that was the way I was raised. And we, we try to continue to do that. I, you know, even just the other day, our car was in the shop and, uh, our down-the-street neighbor let us borrow their car. So when we were done with it, we filled it up with gas when we returned it. It's just a way, tangible way to leave something better than the way that we found it. I think the same needs to be true about our relationships. Do you leave every relationship, do you leave every interaction better than the way you found it? Do, does the person that you interacted with feel encouraged, feel blessed, feel lifted up. Now, I know that we are living in tense times, and the tendency in our world today is if we come up against anything that, that smells like a disagreement, we, I learned this new term, cancel a person. We, we, we say, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not interacting with you anymore. And in fact, sometimes we even, people hang them out to dry and shame them in front of everybody else in order to look better in front of everybody. And you go, man, is that really building everybody up? Is that leaving an interaction better than the way that I found it? Folks, we, we have got to, just go ahead and put this into your brain that we've got to learn how to discuss and disagree. 
We've got to learn how to do that in a respectful manner where I understand that we might not agree with everything in this world. I get it. But we have to speak the truth in love so that we might grow up. But do you leave your interactions in a way that somebody feels blessed, that you leave them with a scripture? Maybe if there's something contentious, you go, man, can I just pray for us? I'm not talking about coming at it from a prideful way, from a I have all the answers way. I'm talking about a humility that just says, man, I love you. I, I want what's best for you. That's why I'm trying to have this discussion with you, etc. Do we love one another sincerely, not just writing people off, not trying to make ourselves look better by the way that we uh, mentally argue people or, or, or verbally argue them into a corner? That's wrong. We, we can't do that and we can't treat each other like that. We're gonna have to learn how to build one another up as we move forward. I mean, we're gonna have more discussions in the future. We just have to learn to do it in a righteous way. And then the second question that we have is, do you strive to rid yourself of the sin that erodes your relationships? Do you strive to rid yourself of sin that erodes your relationship. Remember, he said, you've got to have a pure heart if you're going to love one another sincerely. How do you get a pure heart? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. But then every day being cleansed by his word as we bow our lives to what he says from his living word into our lives, letting it search our hearts, change us, and conform us more into the image of Christ. That's what he says in verse, uh, chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Those are secret sins. Nobody would really know if you were doing that. But those things will erode your relationships with other people. And malice is obviously harmful intent. Deceit is just lying, hypocrisy is being two-faced. I mean, there are a lot of, lot of two-facedisms running around uh, today. Envy, obviously you know what that is, slander, speaking behind someone's back. But these are secret sins. Nobody knows if you're envious unless you voice it. And he says, you can, if you're gonna love someone sincerely, purely, then you're gonna have to rid yourself of those secret sins that nobody else will know that you have. How do you do that? You bow yourself to the word of God. And, and by the way, let me just say this, because some folks don't want to rid themselves of these secret sins and so they just find other people that harbor those secret sins that will agree with them. And if you uh, organize around those things, those will be the things that you will fall by also. Because if you're slandering someone or something behind everybody's back and some, you find somebody that agrees with you and y'all start slandering together, guess what? Y'all are gonna end up slandering each other. Th that backbiting is gonna end up biting you. So the, the, the solution isn't, well, let me just find somebody that thinks like me and acts like me. The solution is to get rid of those secret sins yourself. This is a heart issue. That's why I even talked about that in the opening up sermon. This is all a heart issue. Yes, we are the church, but you are the church. This starts with all of us bowing our lives, allowing God to change our hearts, to conform us into the image of Christ every single day. So do you strive to rid yourself of that sin that erodes your relationships. See, the only way that you're gonna be able to do that and the only way that we're really gonna mature is, is through the word of God because your maturity will be sustained by the word of God. 
every day. You can't just grow up, you can't just be born again and then you're just a child in the faith, tossed to and fro, just like Ephesians 4 said. You've got to continue to grow up, to continue to mature. How do you do that? Bowing your life to the word of God that's living and active, that searches your heart, that wants to conform you to the image of Christ. Why? So that you look more like him and you experience life like he wants you to experience, life abundant. You want you to experience freedom in Christ, conformity to him, not to the things of this world. In uh, chapter two, verse two, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You've got to long, and uh, the word there is crave. It even, that even has a reference to Psalm 42 where it says, as the deer pants for the water or longs or craves for the water, so my soul longs for you, Lord. Like, I can't live without your word. It so refreshes my soul, this, this pure water. And it's pure, this pure milk, again, he's using the analogy of being born again. It's pure in its intent because he only wants you to have the abundant life. He's not trying to lead you to a life away from freedom, a, a life that means you don't have any great things in, in your life or any good relationships. He wants to lead you to good things, life and life abundant. So it's true, it's pure in its intent, but it's also pure in its form. That, that the word of God itself is sufficient to change my life. It's sufficient to give me guidance in the world. Sufficient to understand how he's called me to live. You see, unfortunately, we, we now live, and, and God bless you. I, I love all of you that have sent me wonderful articles to read and books to read podcasts to listen to, videos to watch. I try to watch all of them, but, and I hardly get to any of them, I know, um, because there's just so much out there. You know, I'll tell you guys something I didn't tell the nine, the nine o'clock service. I remember uh, I used to work at a Christian bookstore uh, on campus at DTS, and I remember one day just having the epiphany that I, I was just like, you know, Lord, I am so glad that all I need is your word, because I was looking at all of these bookshelves and I'm like, I don't have time to read that. I don't have time to read that. I, I could spend my entire life in this wonderful bookstore that has wonderful resources and plenty of stuff that I need to learn. But man, I just don't, I don't have time. I can't so, I just felt like the Lord's like, man, if you just, you just get to know this. You just get to know me through my word. That is sufficient. And unfortunately, we're not living in a world that acknowledges the sufficiency of Scripture. It's, well, you need to read this book, Cody. You don't understand that because you need to listen to this podcast. And this is my expert over here. And man, I have a ton to learn. There are plenty of perspectives of people that I don't understand and don't know. And I need to listen to them. And I will continue to listen to them. But when it comes to the authority in my life, it's the word of God. And this is gonna be authoritative for us as a church of how we make our decisions. It's based on the word of God. So let me ask you my final question for today. Is God's word your go-to authority in life? Is God's word your go-to authority in life? Or is it an author? Is it a speaker? Is it a news station? Is it anything else is your go-to authority 
If there's anything beyond that, then that is the grass of the field that is gonna wither and fade. Only the word of God stands forever. That's what 1 Peter says in chapter one, verse 24, 25. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That is God's word, the gospel. This is the only thing that will last. And actually, that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. And if you'll remember Isaiah chapter 40, what he's trying to do, what Isaiah is trying to do there is to comfort God's people who were exiled and dispersed and who were also oppressed by the, the rulers of the day. How did, first, how did Peter start off his letter? To the di- dispersion, to the diaspora, to those who are dispersed, knowing that they were being oppressed by Roman persecution of the day, and it was only about to get worse by Nero. And he says, to those who are being oppressed, to those whose faith is being questioned, to those who are exiled and dispersed, guess what? The word of God remains forever. Not the edicts of the land, not the rulers of the land, This is what remains forever because this is the imperishable seed by which you were born. This is what we put our hope in. This is why we need our hope refined. Not our hope in the things of this world, but our hope in God's word that will last and stand the test of time. This is our go-to authority for how we are called to live our lives. And the more we learn this, then the more mature we will become. The more we will look like Christ, the more we will love like Christ. We're gonna have to continue to grow up. To grow up in our faith, to grow up in our hope, but it's only through the word of God that remains forever. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you do give us something that is imperishable, that has stood the test of time. And there's no challenge that is too great for your word. I pray that you give us a soft heart that would certainly listen and learn about the things going on in our culture. Listen to those and you want us to love those around us. But Lord God, teach us how to be refined in our hope. Teach us how to Make your word our go-to authority in our lives so that we stand on that that will never fade nor fail. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.